This is the newest episode of Synexcess. Sorry, it's been a while. It's been way too hot in the studio to even think about recording. Yes, absolutely. But we're here today to discuss Quentin Tarantino's ninth movie, his new one, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm Rick Dalton. It's my pleasure, Mr. Schwartz. Call me Marvin. Put it there. That your son? No, it's my stunt double, Cliff Booth. Last night, we watched a Rick Dalton double feature. All <laughs> oh, the shooting. <laughs> I love that stuff, you know, with the killing. A lot of killing. Hey, cut! Embarrass yourself like that in front of all those goddamn people. All right, what's the matter, partner? It's official, old buddy. Well, it has been. On August night and the leaves hanging down and the... Here I am, flat on my ass. Who, who I got living next door to me? I'm Sharon Tate. I'm in the movie. You're in this? That's me. I play Miss Carlson, the klutz. Charlie's gonna dig you. You're Rick fucking Dalton. Don't you forget it. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is the ninth film from Quentin Tarantino, which is a bittersweet thing. It's so nice to have a Quentin Tarantino movie, but when you know that he's only planning on making ten, it makes this kind of sad <laughs> to have. It is very sad because he's one of my favorites, and everything is different with him, and I really love everything he's done. Yeah, I think that... There's a sadness to this film, too, that it's not just that it's this. I think it's a melancholy movie. It is definitely um, uh, definitely melancholy. There's a lot of emotions shown in it. Uh, it's There's a lot of sadness because it shows what, what could have been. And he did a really good job with, um, or I'm, I'm not quite sure how this works. You can explain it to me, but... Um, whoever's in charge of scoring the movie. Yeah, that's um, an interesting thing with Quentin Tarantino movies because it's not... I, I know he probably works with somebody. I don't know who it is. I always feel like Quentin Tarantino probably goes to his record collection and that's what I think makes too. a mixtape and says, this is what this... Yeah. This is what this film feels like. Which is not typical, I don't think, yeah. right? And it's Yeah, it's not. And it's also not, not necessarily true because, like, you know, the Django theme song, for instance, it feels like it's this classic song right. that I was like, oh, that must be from some spaghetti western back in the 60s. And then you find out, oh, wait, that was written for this movie, you know? So right. he, he's fooled he me. didn't he do that? Didn't he write He wrote the lyrics, the lyrics to it, yeah. So, um, well... Regardless, whoever scored this uh, film did a good job making it feel melancholy at just the right points. Yeah. But so the film, obviously written and directed by Quentin Tarantino, 
And it finds him once again working with several people that he's worked with before. Chief among them, Robert Richardson, the director of photography, who he worked with on Hateful Eight and Django Unchained and Glorious Bastards and both Kill Bill movies. And once again teaming up with Fred Raskin as editor, who did the Kill Bill movies and Django Unchained. And uh, the film stars Leonardo DiCaprio, who he obviously worked with before on uh, Django Unchained, and he stars as Rick Dalton. Mm -hmm. Brad Pitt in Glorious Bastards, he stars as Cliff Booth. And um, newcomer Sharon Tate, or (laughs) newcomer Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate. And uh, I don't know, then he's got a bunch of other people in there, like, you know, I saw Michael Madsen, a lot of the usual gang. Um, I saw that Tim Roth was listed, but unfortunately cut. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, he works with, like, Maya Hawke, who's Uma Thurman's daughter. I know Rumor Willis was in this, and Bruce Willis he's worked with. It's a a weird mixture of people that he's with, but... um, yeah, I really enjoyed this film a lot, and I find that we, if we weren't as lazy as we are, we probably could make a whole episode where we avoid spoilers, And but we're just not going to do that. So, it's going to be spoiler-filled. If you haven't watched it, please stop listening and go see it for yourself and have the experience. Yeah, and, it's, and it is hard to talk about a Quentin Tarantino film without spoilers, because... Um, I would say that even at the lowest action points, there's still something going on every minute that's important to the film. Yeah. And so it's it's kind of hard to avoid spoilers in that so, so let's wrap it up if you haven't listened to it. Um, I, for one, definitely recommend it. Definitely, I recommend it as well. It's really great. So please stop listening, go to the theater, see it, and... Um, do us a favor and come back and listen please so with that said let's uh talk about the movie yeah i well like you said you really enjoyed it and uh i did as well we went to see it twice um which i think was a good thing because we picked up a couple things that we didn't notice the first time around yeah definitely And, and uh yeah, I, uh, I found the things I really liked the first time around, I liked even more the second time around, which, yeah, that's nice when that happens. Yeah, and I'm uh, I'm one for uh, the retro feel, and I think that watching it the first time around and absorbing all the information, I was able to um, enjoy the retro sets and music and uh, costuming and design this time i was able to enjoy that a little bit more because i could concentrate on that already knowing the um film's premise yeah the um one of the things that i found out uh earlier today before we saw it, i didn't actually know this at the time when we saw it the first time but um yeah obviously leonardo caprio plays um rick dalton who is a cowboy actor on his slide to ending his career you know Mm -hmm. it's just not working out um and brad pitt has been his longtime stunt double and 
companion, as they described, he's uh, more than a friend and a little bit less than a wife. Yeah, more than a brother. I more mean, than a brother. Yeah, a little bit less than a wife, yeah. yeah. But that um, their relationship, one of the things that started Tarantino off on uh, doing this is that that was based, that relationship is based on Burt Reynolds and his longtime stunt double, Hal Needham, and they were pretty much inseparable and friends forever and um sadly uh, burt reynolds was supposed to come and play george spawn the owner of the spawn ranch but he died before his uh, scenes came around mm -hmm. and the spawn ranch mm -hmm. being um one of the locations in the film where other films are uh or were used to be uh filmed that's one of the things i really like about this film too is like it's a movie inside a movie inside a movie. Yep. And it's all throughout the film. It shows, you know, old TV shows, old commercials, old films. And having these things, one within another, is really fun. Yep, it is a lot of fun. It's also frustrating, I think. It is. Because, um, and I, get, I know that uh, when Fred Raskin first put the edit together, like the movie was four hours and 20 minutes long. and Which I would like to see. Yeah, I hope that it gets released. But um, I know you have to move forward with um, the story of 1969, but I was kind of getting invested in that Lancer pilot. I wanted to see the yeah, rest of it. I, I like Timothy Oliphant a lot. Yeah, I would have liked to see more of, um, of Rick and cliff's life at that point i would have liked to see more um more about cliff's past like a little yeah. bit of throwback because i really he was my favorite character in the film was cliff yeah mine too i didn't catch the first time around um because there's a scene when um um rick gets a job and he's in this lancer movie and then they're on the like when he before he leaves like cliff says like hey will you put a word in mm -hmm. and then i thought then there's a scene where uh rick is talking to kurt russell mm -hmm. who as you point out they almost could have just had him be stuntman mike and yeah. that would have been kind of cool because he was the stunt coordinator yeah. in this film yeah but so he talks to him and he's trying to get cliff a job right you know and um Actually, let's just play that clip real quick. Hey, Randy. <laughs> Cliff. So you still with Rick, huh? Still here. You in there? Yeah, just knock. Just, just look, just, just, just put them in the wardrobe, all right? What's it gonna hurt? Then if you need them, you got them, all right? <laughs> then they gotta have a conversation with that wardrobe assistant and man she's a bitch i just don't right, please look, I, look Randy, I, i'm asking you to help me out man if the, if the answer's no the the answer's no not not no with excuses hey man this ain't a andy mclaughlin picture you know and i can't afford to hire a bunch of guys that smoke cigarettes and sit around talking to each other all day on the chance that i might use them i got a four-man team here rick if i need more than that i gotta get it approved and, you know, I, I, I got to look after my dudes. Hey, hey and, and if your dudes were a better match for me, I'd say, oh, okay, you got me. But, but, but that, that's not the case, and you know it. He, he's a great match for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, no. Hey, you could do anything you want to him. 
throw them off a building, right? Light them on fire, hit them with a Lincoln, right? Get creative, do whatever you want. He's just he's happy for the opportunity. Rick? Yeah. I don't dig him. And I don't dig the vibe he brings on a set. Yeah, there's so many things in that scene I can talk about. Like, I just, I love that stutter that Rick has. Mm-hmm. Um, that's great. But the, what I was going to say is I didn't, the movie is told in all these little flashbacks and things. And the very first time I saw it, I thought that he got that job and then he was asking the stunt guy to give Cliff a job. But then I realized today, oh wait, that was a flashback Mm -hmm. to how he kind of fucked up his career fighting Bruce Lee. Yeah. And it cut back to him on the roof and he's kind of like, ah, fair enough. Like I deserve that. That was my, my bad. Yeah, Cliff was uh, just recalling his little bit of a scuffle he had and, you know, uh, kind of reminiscing on where his life is going, I think, started off. And then he's like, yeah, I see how that got all screwed up. And I love the, I really enjoyed the editing in this film. I loved uh, when he's talking to Al Pacino and how they had like a, rick dalton film festival at his house the night before and then it cuts to like the film cans and the projector mm-hmm. and there's like these little inner cuts were like i do i did enjoy that a lot i was just trying to picture like making a film and then just interjecting that kind of b-roll and it's just like mm-hmm. shit like i don't think i would have ever went there you know did you enjoy or did you appreciate the um the pacino character more this time around you know um i did i like i i love al pacino i know but um i was actually i watched red letter media talk about this movie earlier and um you know they played this (laughs) they played a clip of like al pacino selling dunkin donuts standing there singing like oh, oh, oh i'm a donut like it's just like and you're just like what the fuck yeah. al pacino like Weird. dog day afternoon to fucking dunkin donuts <laughs> and so yeah like oh you know like i love al pacino and um i see him do some stuff that kind of makes me cringe yeah and it's nice to see him with a good director and you like you kind of kind of go oh shit no this is al pacino like there's a director who's gonna pull something out of him and even though he did a little bit part in this yeah um it made me you know side note i don't want to get distracted and go down this rabbit hole but it made me all the more excited for scorsese's the irishman yeah yeah that's i know i'm really excited about that coming out. i want to see al pacino do good yeah i just um i know that um, we were talking about how the first time we watched this, uh, we felt like maybe some could be cut. I don't feel like that t- that way the second time around. No, I didn't either. I, like we, when we first saw it, I thought I was like, "Damn, you know, like there's a lot of stuff I really liked." But mm-hmm. I think I said to you that it felt really meandering yeah. at times, and yeah. seeing it the second time, I'm like. No, not at all. Yeah, it feels better this time around. That's why I was curious if you still felt that the um, very small part about Al Pacino, uh, if you still felt that was meandering. Because it, while it was 
an introduction to um, Rick's kind of uh, transition into spaghetti westerns, it still didn't need to be that detailed. But then again, if it wasn't in there, you wouldn't have seen that great shot of him having the um, personal screenings with his wife. Yeah. And so. Or um, the flamethrower. Or the flame <laughs> like, I mean, that scene is pivotal. It introduces, um, it awakens Rick to the fact that his career's on the downfall. Yeah. That's super necessary to this movie. Um, it introduced a fucking flamethrower, which was amazing, without a hint of foreshadowing. And. <laughs> no idea what's going to happen with that. A huge plot line. Yeah. And then also, like, the the whole like spaghetti western thing which which actually like the while we're talking about spaghetti westerns like one of the things too that i loved um i loved it the first time i saw it i loved it even more the second time i saw it but um you know being a cinephile and liking a lot of the same stuff that tarantino likes like the once upon a time title wasn't lost on me at all like you could that's totally a call to sergio leone in his westerns it brings that to mind like once upon a time in the west and then his gangster movie once upon a time in america and it's like just like he did with stealing the title of inglorious bastards you're like oh he's you know that's a call like it's a little shout out to sergio leone but then at the end of the movie it's it like it stops being that and it's like oh this is a fairy tale like mm-hmm. you know and it's a beautiful thing like um you know, we're talking to people that have already seen the movie, but like, you know, at the end when those gates open mm-hmm. and he goes in and it's like, like, you can just imagine like, yeah. you know, like not only has he changed this history, mm-hmm. but now Rick's going to have, he's going to end up meeting Polanski. He's mm-hmm. going to end up in a movie and he's going to like, his right. career is going to go. It's like, he's, it's, he's probably going to rehire Cliff, you know? Like, right. And it's a good, um, it's a good example or um, it's symbolic of the what if scenario. Like, what if the Manson murders didn't happen? What if, you know, what if John Lennon didn't, wasn't assassinated? It's all these things of what if these great people had not died and had been able to flourish and go on. And I think that, um, that there's a little bit of, um, there's not a whole lot of Sharon Tate in this film. However, what there is shows this really sweet, sweet girl. And like we said, Sharon Tate was played by Margot Roby. And um, it shows her at, at one point going and kind of um, anonymously going in and watching one of her films with an audience at just a, a local Hollywood theater and how they were laughing and it, and it showed real clips of Sharon Tate's film um, yeah, with Dean Martin with Dean Martin I can't and remember the name of the film but yeah I can't think of it either however you know she plays this funny girl in the film she's not this sex pot she's kind of got these like big oversized glasses she's a klutz um, and it and it makes you think later on like what could Sharon Tate have become if she would have survived the Manson murders. Yeah, and one thing too, like when I was talking about those like inner cuts, it was really cool that when during that scene when she's gonna confront like you know, I haven't seen the movie so unfortunately I don't know who that was, but it's obviously like 
the bad female of the of the movie. In Sharon Tate's true yeah, film, you mean? In the film, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they show those clips, and they show her, like, fighting her. Yeah. And it cuts to, um, and this is something I didn't pick up on the first time I noticed, but or the first time I saw the film, but um, they show, like, her training with Bruce Lee, because Bruce Lee trained yeah, Mar- Hollywood stars. Yeah, Margot Robbie Yeah, they show, like, Margot mm-hmm. Robbie and, um, ah, I have his name right here, um, Mike Moe, who played Bruce Lee mm-hmm. in this film, but they, sh- they there's a couple other times that they show, um, I can't remember who else it was. Jay Sebring in the but, end. But he, he and like, who's that? Jay Sebring in the end. Um, he was, Jay Sebring is her previous fiance that she ah. done, um, that was her friend. In the end, they showed a clip of him also training with Bruce yeah. Lee. And, but um, that's what Bruce Lee was like martial arts trainer to the stars right. on, in addition to that but so that was a nice way to like put that in there but it was like what a cool intercut to like show in this fight scene her training for this fight scene i don't know it was just like i thought it was cool little and it, it actually works really well that um you know because i think part of tarantino's goal here is in and, and i i'm gonna get sidetracked for a second but there is a lot of criticism from people about um Sharon Tate's role in this movie because uh, she doesn't really talk. But quite honestly, I don't think she needs to talk. Like, she's in the movie a lot. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a love letter to Sharon Tate. Right. And it definitely, her, all of her images are accurate on, um, in the theater, on the outside of the theater, on the billboards, on, um, in the actual film that they're playing in the theater. They're showing Sharon Tate's image and that's that's quite unusual they usually and it works it does work and it shows respect for her as an actress it shows respect um that tarantino would go do that cut between margot roby um uh learning how to fight like you're literally showing the same movements so in it and it can call out the differences between the two actresses right it's really risky to do that right and instead of um trying so hard to um imitate sharon tate with margot roby he wanted to show like you know this is her this is who we lost um this is sharon tate and we don't want to we don't want to Im- we don't want to replicate her we just want to honor her oh. and, and i i think it's cool that he worked with um sh- like he had consulted with and things um he didn't talk to polanski at all which is kind of strange to me but um he did work with sharon tate's sister deborah who gave the film her blessing and actually lent some of sharon tate's jewelry for margot roby to wear so it's it's kind of i think that's beautiful yeah but one thing that does bother me not to get sidetracked let's come back to sharon tate but um as someone who absolutely loves bruce lee and has read the tao jeet kune do and just adores bruce lee like more so when i was younger but that's you know he he still is like an influence on my life um the portrayal of Bruce Lee is is kind of wrong. Like, I mean, he was arrogant, but I don't know. They just kind of made him out to be a real asshole. And um, I know that Bruce Lee's daughter is not happy. 
And it's interesting that he wouldn't... I don't know. I just I wish he would have showed the same respect to Bruce Lee that he did to Sharon Tate. Well, I don't... I don't have a whole lot to say about that because I know very little about Bruce Lee. However, um, the scene where he's fighting Cliff and Cliff catches him off guard um, was strange to me because I don't know if that would really happen with yeah. a with a thoroughly trained and um, thoroughly trained and expert martial artist like Bruce Lee, and I I. The answer is it wouldn't have. Right. <laughs> like, as what, much as I like Cliff, like, Cliff would have been destroyed. Right. Even if I didn't know who Bruce Lee was or um, see Cliff previously in the film and what he could do, because he's a kick-ass guy. Like, he kicks yeah. ass. But if even if I wouldn't have known those two, just the matchup of that, of a martial artist against a stuntman, even a fighting stuntman, doesn't make sense that... You know, I'm not saying that one couldn't, or the stuntman couldn't kick his ass, but to even catch him off guard like he did, I feel like that's not really what would happen. And that's the thing. I thought the guy that played him, Mike Moe, he did a really good job. He, he captured his voice, like his oh mannerisms, the look. Um, the but I do feel like it was a big misstep on Tarantino's part. Like, mm. um, you know, if you want to have Bruce Lee in there because you like Bruce Lee, have some expand upon those scenes of him training people and have him be in there and let him be like really the way Bruce Lee was. Do you think it's possible that that scene was based on a story that Tarantino had heard? Like maybe something Not, like that like, had happened? People used to go up and try to, and this happens a lot with like martial artists, yeah. but um, people challenge them and Bruce like never took that up like Smart. you know it's like no and yeah. um but that said he did have this arrogance to him so that part was a little accurate but um yeah i just feel like you could have done better than that and you could have like just had some hot shot you know you've already you you don't feel like i needed that scene to know that cliff was a badass right but if you feel like it's integral and it's not my movie. Like, fuck it. Like, Quentin Tarantino could do whatever he wants, you know? Right. I'm just... This is my reaction to it. Um, but I feel like you could have just had some other, like... Yeah. There could have been... Guy, a, you Right. Know? And there could have been a different... Um, there could have been a different interaction or scuffle between um, Clint... I mean, uh... Cliff. Cliff yeah. and anybody else. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Just have some other... Because he did need to get guy. kicked off the set. By, yeah, um, you could have had some... By the wife, played by Zoe Bell. Blowhard, like, stunt right. coordinator. They could have been anybody. could have beat up Stuntman Mike for all that. You know what I mean? <laughs> Threw him right. into his they wife's car. Got, right, they could have gotten to a fight over yeah. casting or something. Something. Right. But, um, but whatever, that's just my reaction to it. Tarantino can do whatever he wants. I just feel like that's... It's honestly my... I don't know if it's my only criticism. I can't think of another one off the top of my head, but it's definitely my biggest criticism of this film is I just feel like, oh, that was a misstep. Yeah, and there's so, but there's so many other things that are great about yeah. it. Um, and just a side note, um, I love Zoe Bell, who is an amazing yeah. stunt woman, and she was in Death Proof. And her did work all in her Death Proof stunts. is insane. She's like... I, nobody, I I don't know. I just this woman is like 
phenomenal. She's like, she blows me away. But I've um, watched I that, like that she's her in scenes in Death Proof on the Hood, and I've been like, okay, like she has to be wearing a harness that goes down into the hood to hold her. But then you watch, and it's like the way she moves. It's like. Yeah, no, she's not. No, like, I've, I've heard interviews, and everybody says that. So how did you stay in the car? She said, my hands. Yeah. And that's why but I wear the gloves. there's scenes where she, the car is getting hit, and it's being jerked to the left, and mm-hmm. she's, I, I feel like she came pretty close to falling off of that damn car. But right. anyway, that's, we're getting sidetracked by... Yeah, that was... But, but Zoe Bell's awesome. If you don't know who she is, you need to look her up, and you need to watch something she's in. Because, and I suggest Death Proof, another Tarantino film, would be a good one. But she's amazing. That's all I'll say about it. So, um, here's the thing with this movie, too, that I was wondering is, um, I would be interested in talking to someone younger, you know, because I'm an old fuck. So, mm-hmm. um you know, I think I was I was one years old when Charles Manson when those that happened. So yeah. I it's been there my whole life. But I was wondering how somebody that wasn't familiar with that because it's so like this movie isn't about the Manson murders, mm-hmm. but it definitely informs this movie and it creates a natural countdown. It creates a natural sense of dread, mm-hmm. like. You know, he puts the date up, and you can see that we're moving closer and closer to this date. Because and we actually, are all so familiar at our age group are also familiar with the Manson murders from uh, beginning to end. In this film, like another thing about like, um, you know, how it's a love letter to Sharon Tate, and they really are super respectful to Sharon Tate. But this film originally was supposed to be released on the fiftieth anniversary of the murders, but they moved it because it's. You know, kind of disrespectful that they would do that but mm-hmm. um but you know when you have that constant build-up and i remember seeing um when you see sharon pregnant it just like ugh, like it, it just it is sad. filled me with this huge humongous dread but um you know way more about the you know and like i said the movie's not about that but you can't have this movie without the Manson murders. So right, because I think it's the backdrop to Cliff and Rick's story. Because you're a murderino and you know way more about that kind of stuff than I do. So why don't you fill us in a little bit about that for those that might not know? Um. Well, okay, but I want to follow up with what you said. Um. Like we said, we're very familiar with the Manson murders, but there's going to be a lot of young people that go see this that don't know a whole lot about the Manson murders. And they just know that he's some crazy, uh, some crazy cult leader that, you know, had some people killed. Um, but if you're a young person and you've seen this film and you weren't familiar with the Manson murders beforehand, um, leave us a message on our Facebook or on our um, webpage at www.synexcess.com. Or um, Cinexcess on Facebook because we'd like to know what you thought and if any of this confused you or if you didn't quite get it because you didn't know what had really happened. Let me just throw in a side note here too real quick because I didn't know about this, um, you know, knowing when I 
and you know, I basically know the story of the Manson murders, but um, something I didn't know is like it was like they found this body like ten years after the Manson murders happened, but there was a stuntman named um, Donald Shea who went was at like the Spawn Ranch and seemed like I don't know from what I read seemed like he was there a while mm-hmm. and then Manson grew um distrusting of him and um they tortured him to death and killed him and it's kind of like it's one of those things that I wish that I had known that because when Cliff goes to Spawn Ranch like it was tense and I honestly mm-hmm. I really thought he was going to get killed me there Me too me too Um that was very tense like it's wonderfully shot the way that like he used the hippies was um you know this movie doesn't feel like like a grindhouse like b movie but the way that stuff was shot was totally like you know the i don't know these felt so dangerous almost like zombies like like they were were overwhelming numbers they looked like hungry rabid dogs really but but the way they were filmed was so menacing yeah yeah they he did a great job um, because part of, and what I'll tell you a second about the Manson murders, part of the um, family, it's called, of Manson, where it goes, Manson's family goes way beyond just the um, Sharon Tate murders. Um, it goes to this whole group of lost children, basically. Lost as in, you know, their lives. Um, and, you know kids who want to be out on their own get taken in by this man and they all live at this ranch together and he teaches them about um you know you gotta love your brother and you gotta love yourself and and um be free and sexual freedom but then he's also teaching them about the man and how the government's against you and and which is all true which is it's all true um he was completely right but um and how cops are the enemy and uh you know the government's the enemy and and hollywood's the enemy because they're making all the money basically he's he was mad because he was dirt poor and had nothing and was treated like he had nothing and so he taught all the hippie kids that were his family that hollywood um hollywood was bad because it had so money and that's why he was able to get the people that he got to go in and murder Sharon Tate, um, uh, the Lapiancas, Abigail Folger, Abigail Folger, the heir to the Folgers' um, fortune, um, uh, Jay Sebring, and um, I can't pronounce the uh, Polish last name of Abigail Folger's boyfriend, Plansky's but he was friend. there too. Yeah, Rowan Polanski's uh, friend. And that's at the like another thing. Like I don't think you knew this, and I told you about this, but it's like. Like, Jesus Christ, like, um, not to get too sidetracked from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but, you know, this all, like, revolves around it. Like, um, Roman Polanski, I mean, his parents were killed in the Holocaust, mm-hmm. and it he really didn't like people or trust people very much, and then he meets Sharon Tate, falls in love, and, mm-hmm. and gets then, to open up, and then... Yeah, what, and you know, he, becomes, like, he goes from being kind of a playboy to um, finding this beautiful wonderful actress that he cast in a film and um you know turns out to be sharon tate they are in this beautiful hollywood hills home and by just by chance just because um 
just because Charles Manson knew the people that lived in uh, in um, their the previous house, house, the Polanski's yeah. house, just because he knew that somebody who lived there ahead of time and then looking for him found mm-hmm. that uh, Roman Polanski, one of the hottest directors at that time, lived there. That's why they became a target for the murders. One thing I think is interesting is I'd heard, and I'm not an expert on this stuff, but I'd heard that that scene with how Manson went to that house, Uh I'd heard that that actually happened, that he went there. So it's kind of fucked up that he knew that the person wasn't even there, that you know, because oh, yeah, that was did. one of the things that people thought, oh, like, nope. he went there because he had a grudge against this guy or like, you know, they didn't. He knew exactly who lived um, there now. Let me throw this out real quick because this is interesting. And then you tell us a little more about that. But um, um, one of the things I think is interesting is the guy that played Charles Manson, who, you know, he's barely in this movie at mm-hmm. all. But um, good enough to be creepy. But this is something you'll be excited about. Um, he is played by Damon Harriman. Her- and he is also has been cast as Charles Manson in Netflix Mindhunter season two. Oh, really? I love that show. Yeah, so it's kind of weird. That's gonna be good that... because he looked just like Manson. Yeah. And uh, he didn't speak much, but he had he had the walt the like hunched over walk and the grimacing look on his face. He got he had that down pat. Mm-hmm. So I think he's gonna do a great job in that role. Somebody mentioned that, um, <laughs> it's kind of funny. It would have been a funny nod to, um, cause there are like things, little nods to Tarantino's work in this film. Like one thing that I think is interesting and I, I'm getting sidetracked from what you were going to say about the family, but, um, that Cadillac that he drives around in, he, uh, that, that, that um, Cliff drives, Cliff like drives for Rick's, Rick. Yeah. Like that Cadillac's actually Michael Madsen's car and it was in Reservoir oh. Dogs and I think oh, Pulp that's Fiction. The Reservoir Dogs car? Yeah. Oh, it's is what, that really Michael Madsen's car? Yeah. It's Michael Madsen's car and Tarantino oh. just borrows it. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Cliff, um, Cliff drives Rick around because Rick's had a couple of DUIs and since Cliff is his, you know, buddy and kind of companion, um, he drives him around because he's got his license taken away. So, um, so yeah, anyway, um, back to the family. Just a quick rundown, if you don't know. Um, what happens is is that Manson talks some of his followers, Tex Watson, Patricia Krenwinkel, uh, Leslie Van Houten, um, into, um, into going and you know, killing the pigs and the pigs being the rich, um, wealthy or the rich, um, starlet and her husband. So, uh, they go and on August 9th, 1969, they, they go to Sharon Tate's house and they murder Sharon Tate. She's eight and a half months pregnant. They murder her, her friend, JC Bring. Um, their Polish friend, um, which I cannot pronounce the last name, but was boyfriend to Abigail Folger. They're all there visiting. Rowan Polanski is in Europe, uh, setting up to do one of his films. They had all moved in They wrote, like, Helter Skelter in, um, Blood on the Wall, which then brought the Beatles into the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, uh... 
yeah, they the Helter Skelter was the big thing. Everything that's ever come out from for Manson after that has had something to do with Helter Skelter. But um, so even though Manson was not ever actually there um, during the killings, uh, he got life in prison just like the other people did. Um, they were all convicted to death, or they were all convicted um, fully and sentenced to death, but since California overturned the death penalty, they all got life in prison. And as most of us know, um, Charles Manson just died this past year in prison uh, after a long, long wait by everybody. Huh. Um, and what you said earlier, you said that Sharon Tate's sister gave um, Margot Roby jewelry to wear and gave her blessing for this film and I was going to mention that um, above everybody else I would say that Tarantino got that blessing from the right person because Sharon Tate's sister has been at every um, every parole board hearing mm. of every Manson family member every single time she spends her whole life keeping those people in prison and she's been a real advocate for her sister. Um, so I think that Tarantino did right by that family um, in in getting her blessing mm. with it. And what I was going to say, I read, um, I think I read it on Reddit, and somebody said it would have been a cool callback to Tarantino's other movies if um, Manson had been on the ranch and Cliff, like, gave him a little swastika on his head yeah that like although cool. but i don't know like it's that would have been too much but, but <laughs> it's kind of a funny idea it to, would, it would it's have funny been, to picture it been too much in the movie though that would have been a that would have been one of the more humorous things yeah. you know because we know that that, that happens in inglorious bastards but and there's not a ton of humor in this movie like there's a little bit like i loved um definitely nothing with the mansons no i love the um cliff and his dog oh that dog was amazing that was just a great scene that whole segment of him at home Mm -hmm. talking Um, to the dog like he's uh, yeah like the dog is his wife and then when he takes the acid like (laughs) he's trying to get the the dog's just like fuck dude are you gonna feed me or what he's trying to explain to the dog why the dog has to be patient because he's like give me a break man this is you know and that kind of hit me this time too i was like oh shit like that dog hadn't even ate when right let's just say the dog saves the day the dog is the the main hero in this whole thing is uh cliff was cliff was a badass and he got his but without that dog cliff would have been a dead man and that's the thing it's like i I don't know i i don't even want to bring this up so i'm not it's like i guess i am bringing it up but it's like the criticism that idiots like come at tarantino because of violence and you know i'm 100 percent with him all the time yeah. that it's like this is a fucking movie it is but like my god i just like if you don't... i laughed so fucking hysterically while cliff is beating these fucking hippies against like mm-hmm. the fucking mantle it's just and to me hitting... it's just like a riot he knocked one of the manson followers uh, or manson family that came to to kill them 
um, he knocked him out with a can of dog food in case you yeah. didn't notice. And um, but also the dog amazing. food was rat flavored meat, rat flavored or raccoon flavored. Yeah. And, <laughs> like, he, um, and he, he knocked her out with that before he, <laughs> uh, before the dog attacked her. And that's where that's the whole premise of the Manson family changing their mind last minute, because it says clearly that Manson's directions, just as it was in real life, was to go to Terry's old house, which is Sharon Tate's new house, and kill everybody in there. And so, um, instead, they choose Rick's house and go in there. And they probably shouldn't have because they got their asses handed to them. So, um... And that's, like, the fairy tale of the story. Right. This alternate reality. Right. Because it allows Sharon Tate and everybody else to live and who knows what could have happened um you know if sweet little sharon tate would have made it so um yeah also um a few things i want to mention because i noticed here that we're starting to get to the point where we should start to wrap it up wrap it up um we still have a little time but um we want to take it easy on the listeners. They don't love us that much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, let's talk about um, the acting in the film. Like we talked so a little bit. Like I let's start with I I I like I don't know I like Brad Pitt more than like Leonardo DiCaprio. But DiCaprio's good. But let's start with They're DiCaprio. Both great actors. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed. I enjoyed Brad Pitt more in this film. Yeah, it's also, it's, I think people have said this before, but I was super struck by it the first time around, like, just how much he looks like Robert Redford in this movie. Mm-hmm. With those glasses and, and the, his hair. I mean, hair. he just totally looks like him. Mm-hmm. But I was, so the first time I saw it, I was kind of like, eh, you know, DiCaprio, whatever, he's just there. And I don't, you know, I know he's a good actor, but... Um, this time around, I was really impressed more. I still like Cliff better, but I was, I was super impressed with his portrayal. Like, and I read some stuff about how he had a real hard time, like acting because he's acting as an actor who's acting Mm -hmm. and doing it poorly sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it was just, I mean, wow. Like, you know, that's that's messed up to do. That's all, yeah. I mean, just like having a movie inside a movie inside a movie, you're an actor who's playing an actor who's playing an actor. Yeah. You know? And, and an actor who isn't as good an actor as you are. So right, you have right. to, like... He's got to dumb himself down a little bit. Yeah, which is tough to do. And then on top of that, he's also... Um, they introduced that stutter... Yeah. That comes out when he isn't feeling all that confident. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just like, damn, man, like that's a lot of mm. stuff to do. And I was really, I don't know, I was drawn to him this time. I still kind of feel like, I don't know, like I wouldn't really get along with him too much. I wouldn't really like that character. I don't know. I just like, man, eh, I'm more interested in Cliff. You know what's, uh, what's good? He's a great emotional actor. He can go from furious to devastated really well. Um, 
But what else is good is interesting is he's a vegan. I don't know if he's a vegan, but he's at the very least a vegetarian. And he ate a chicken leg for this. Oh. Um, just like he, um, in the Revenant, he he chewed into that liver. Oh, that yeah. was a real This liver. is actually his first movie since the Revenant, since he, since he won well, that award for that. Well, he must, yeah. So, who knows? I, I say that's good. That's good dedication to the craft. If you're eating meat yeah. <laughs> like that, I, I'd probably puke. But, um, yeah, I think, I, I don't know. I, for some reason, I know that Cliff and Rick were supposed to be kind of equal in this. But I feel, I look at this as a little bit more as Rick's, I mean, uh, Cliff's story. And I don't know why. I don't know why I feel that way. Yeah, no, it's like. Rick has more dialogue and more of that, but it's like, I don't know, it's almost like, um, actually, I wanted to mention her, too. Um, so, when he picks up the hitchhiker who takes him to the Spawn Ranch, um, Pussycat, who I don't, yeah, and I don't know how to pronounce her name, but I think this is her breakout role. I think we're going to see this girl and stuff, like Margaret Qualley, who played Pussycat. Yeah. But it's like she said, like, um... You know that him being a stuntman is better than him being an actor because actors are fakey, and mm -hmm. I and I feel like Cliff, even though he has zero direction in his life, like I mean, literally when when like when Rick tells him that he can't afford to keep him on anymore, you're like he doesn't seem super upset about it. But seriously, what the fuck is he gonna do for food? Well, like, what are his skills? With uh, he can't work with the stunt coordinator on that one thing anymore because of his wife. But but even though he doesn't have like these successes, and he just seems more fully developed as a human being and more comfortable in his skin, whereas Rick definitely doesn't feel comfortable in his own mm -hmm. skin. And he is definitely always worried about where his career career is going. It's not just and that. I feel like he's just like, it's that, but it is also like the way that he talks around people. Like it's like he, I don't know. It feels like he's putting on airs. Like he's putting on, like he's portraying a character cause he's not comfortable with himself mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. Whereas like, you know, yeah. Cliff's just there. I definitely think that, um, that Cliff did, um, uh, you learn more about who Cliff was in his real life and learn more about who Rick was in films yep. and his career more so than you did about his personality. I shouldn't say personality, but more well, so than you true. did about it's his like, real person. Yeah. Because even when they showed his personality and his emotions, it all was tied in with his films and huh. with his career and you didn't see they didn't show anything about his marriage the only thing that they showed that could have hinted at real um like self self-awareness is when he was working with that little girl that sweet yeah. little girl she who i think is great. amazing she did a phenomenal job that's a really touching um scene she's um julia butters who played trudy mm -hmm. She, um, I don't know, like, I, someone had said this, I don't remember where I 
heard this. People were speculating that the... I think I actually Red Letter Media talked about this, that um, like they were curious whether the book he was reading was actually even about what he said it was about or whether he was talking, you know, because he definitely... I don't know. When I watched it today, I felt like, oh, yeah, the book was mm-hmm. really a book, and it just kind of got him going. And then, then maybe he, like exaggerated it you know and told his story a little bit i don't think he told a story i mean i don't think he exaggerated at all i think that the character in the book made him realize what his life is going to i don't think that um rick's character had enough enough um personal depth to make up something that's true but he is like that's like I think that girl had way more personal depth. I think that she had a huge impact on his character arc and mm-hmm. being someone who realized that his career is in the shitter and, like, this girl is taking the art of acting way more seriously than he is mm-hmm. and that he needs to start doing that if he's going to survive and if he really yep. wants to be an actor and not move back to Missouri... He's got to get his shit together. Yep. And, and do what he's got to do, like this little lady's doing. You know, that scene in the trailer when he has the breakdown after he forgot lines and mm-hmm. threatens to kill himself and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Like, that was all ad-libbed. That wasn't Tarantino. Really? Yeah. That was that was really good. He did a good job. Yeah, when he was looking in that mirror and you could see him looking yeah. back at you and telling himself in the mirror he was going to kill himself if he missed one of those lines. Yeah. Yeah, that was... And he's like, you know, he spent all that time... Like, granted, he was drinking, probably, because of his confidence problems. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, he spent... He was up all night rehearsing, and then he's like, you spent all night rehearsing, and now you look like you didn't rehearse at all. Like... Yep. um, You you know, you embarrassed yourself in front of these people. But, um... I feel like this, that, like, he isn't a fully developed person. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'm not, this is a, not about the writing, not a character. He's no. not a, it's really well written. About like the, he is not a fully developed person. And that Rick isn't right. Yeah. Rick. And it, he, but I feel like at the end of the movie mm-hmm. when, um, I can't remember his name, like Sharon's first fiance, when Jay like starts talking to him. And, and you know, and he's thing. over here just enamored with the fact that the Polanskis live next door. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, from, he doesn't say it, but you could tell, like, the way he carries himself. He's assuming that they have zero idea who the hell he is. Right. Like, he even is like, you know, this guy's my next door neighbor. And, like, I just, because I bought property and like, mm-hmm. this is great, but, you know, who am I? I'm nobody. Right. Right. And um, once that guy's like... You know, oh, yeah, I know you. You're Rick Dalton. And, like, I tease Sharon about how she lives next door to... I forgot the character's name or the cowboy's name now. You know, and that... And then she knows exactly who he is. Yeah. And, like, he... When he's going to meet these people, you know, like, that whole incident shocked him out of himself. Mm -hmm. But I think that being recognized by Jay and Sharon knowing who he is and being like, oh, you know, he's a really talented actor Mm -hmm. when she's introducing, like... They, they're accepting him as a person, not mm-hmm. impressed by his status as a celebrity. Nope. They're not, 
indentured to him the way Cliff is. Mm -hmm. Like, they're just accepting him. And I feel like he... That's like at the very end of the movie, you're finally seeing Rick come into himself. And I think DiCaprio did a good job with that because um, when he was... He's got this kind of unfounded arrogance throughout the film. And then at the end, when Sharon calls him through the speaker and says come on up you know he's kind of like he's soft talking to her he's more quiet than usual he wasn't the you know asshole that was just screaming at the that the people who you know drove up his private street and so you know he becomes a little less he's humble yeah he's humble and it's not just because of like oh you're famous and more powerful than i am it's because they know who he is and they just are talking to him as a person and not because he is you know whoever he was the the actor jake dalton it? No, it's Rick Dalton, but it's something. Oh, Jake. Uh, I forget. Oh, well. I want to say J.T. Lancer, but that's not true. <laughs> no, that was Lancer was the Timothy Oliphant. J.T. Lancer movie. is a uh, character, um, the char- the acting character of somebody in The Big Chill, another one of uh, my favorites. Um, but yeah, I love that, that you actually, like, how nice is it that, you know, and that's why it's going to be so sad when Tarantino retires. Because it's like, here's somebody who's actually making a movie with an actual character arc. You know? Yeah. Like, I don't buy like it, though. I don't never... think he's going to retire. Uh, I, think he's, I think he is. Um, um, but I just, I, I think that that, you know, so like the first time I saw it, I was like, eh, that's kind of lukewarm on Rick. But this time around... I'm like, wow, you know, Rick's all right. Like, he, he gets there. Mm-hmm. He gets to all right. Yeah. He yeah. wasn't all right for a lot of it, but he was, he gets there. Yeah. And that's great. And, like, Cliff, um, I don't really know, like, I, I, may, I might be missing his character arc, but I feel like he was just fully there. He was to fully there with. from the beginning to the end. His, he needs to get his shit together and get a fucking job. <laughs> but other yeah, than that, I feel like he's... Rick, Cliff's going to be all right. Cliff's going to be Cliff. Cliff is going to be all right. And Cliff has self-confidence, but not in an arrogant way. He just knows that he can get by in life. And part of the thing that we did not um, cover or talk about was that Cliff has a problem finding jobs because... He killed his wife and got away with it, and people know it. And did he though? And that's one thing about that. Like, I think he I'm did. like, He's, I don't know. Like, I'm not gonna to say that's a. Times. I'm not gonna say it's a misstep the way the, the portrayal of Bruce Lee was. But I was like, damn, why you gotta throw in this horrible thing that Cliff did? Like, I was really digging Cliff, and then you know, granted, but that his wife. Was I didn't true. have to live with. Well, I mean, I did, his but I didn't a, have yeah. to live with her, with his wife. Right, but, and uh, played by uh, by um, Rebecca Gayhart. Gay, yeah, Gayhart. Yeah, Gay Gay Rebecca Gayhart, and um, maybe he owed maybe Quentin Tarantino owed her a spot in a film, and just well, had to I feel like I feel like the reason, and I could be totally wrong, but you know, this movie's a love letter to Hollywood, and that's like a callback to Natalie Wood. And his wife's name was even Natalie. Yeah. 
Oh, was it? Yeah, like you said her name. But in... Natalie Wood was no shrew. No, she wasn't, but... But she, she was got mysteriously killed on a boat. Killed on a boat. And we the question know. is, did he kill her or did he not kill her? We all know who killed her. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, I do think that Cliff, Brad Pitt did an amazing job with Cliff. He was there from beginning to end. There wasn't even a... He stayed cool and and constant even through the um t- the part where he was confronted at the ranch and yeah. and that was there was a really nice scene like i it's super minor character but um i thought bruce stern did a great job yeah as a uh, spawn he like i don't know it was just like it, I like seeing it felt stern very things. like having had my grandfather have alzheimer's like it did feel like like that maybe there's some dementia with this character but it could also just be he's tired but you know like the fact that he's like john wilkes booth and the dalton boys um yeah all this stuff like he he really didn't have but then there was a moment of clarity there for a second and i loved that scene where he's like i don't know who you are but you've touched me yeah like you came to visit me and it's like like damn that was a really nice scene like what a and i feel like bruce stern i've always really liked him as an actor but i feel like it's worth calling out his performance Mm -hmm. on that felt like a fully developed character that didn't feel like an old actor getting thrown a bone and just delivering some lines that felt like like it felt like he literally was that guy yeah i know well but he's always like that and that's a thing that sometimes it um, it amazes me to think about the art of acting and how these people, like, you know, some people in our society are like, ah, oh, actors are too overrated, all this, that, whatever. But the really, really good actors, they do all that with, like, I mean, what's the longest take? You know, like, five minutes in a scene is forever. Uh-huh. Yeah. Most of this stuff is done in less than a minute take and then take move the camera do this over here change the thing like and they have to like bring that together and create a full character and it's like when it's done well like you know dicaprio did like and and bruce stern did i'm trying to think um who else would have fallen in that like little minor characters that we like you don't even think about, you know, but I think Bruce Stern did a great job. Um, he always, he always does a good job and I love it. Watch Silent Running. Oh, I have never favorites. seen it, but yes. Um, and I would think, has Quentin Tarantino's films ever gotten an Oscar? He won, uh, he won an Academy Award, I think for Pulp Fiction okay. for screenwriting. Am I going too far in saying that, like, maybe Brad Pitt could get a nomination for this? Um, you know... Because he was so good! I think that... He played the part so well. I'm not saying it was a spectacular character or that there was any, like, No, but that's the problem, is that somebody's gonna show up with a flashier role or, like... Yeah play somebody with a disability and everybody's going to vote for that person because that's kind of what happens with the academy awards it just is um i 
I'm going to ignore that. Gary Oldman should have done it. <laughs> he would have oh won God. an award sooner. Um, but I, it's true, and I'm not saying that's not an insult or anything to anyone with special needs or anything, but it is literally how the Academy votes. So you'll have someone with an amazing performance, and they'll lose out to somebody else that's like, you know, Dustin Hoffman won for Rain Man. Is Rain Man even remotely Dustin Hoffman's best acting? No. I don't think it is. Mm-mm. I, uh... But they... And being a, um... The voters are very sympathetic towards that kind of character. Yes. As, as they should towards real people. Yes, but, but to be fair, as a person who has worked for a decade mm-hmm. with people on the autism spectrum, um, Den- or, uh, Dustin Hoffman's character whether it was written like this or he decided to act it this way, is not representative of a typical person on the spectrum. Yeah, so um, and it's, that and further makes my point that he doesn't deserve to win the Academy Award for this yeah. role. But that's, that's how they I go. like that film is because And I'm speaking as someone on the spectrum, so... Yeah. Before I get hate mail, I'm on the spectrum, so... You are, but I know, but still. It, um, um, but it does, it like... Uh, he, I don't think that Brad Pitt stands a chance of winning. And that's sad because I really, really liked him in this. I did too. I thought he did, he played it just right. He played it perfectly. Um, and I think that, I think that um, Pussycat, the girl who, um, she was based on one of Manson's followers named Kitty, uh, a girl who kept running away from home and running back to Manson and back and forth. Um, this pussycat in the film who ended up taking Cliff back to the ranch, her, the actress who played her was phenomenal. She did an amazing job. She's really 26 years old and she played a 16 year old amazingly. She's Um, how old? She's 26 years old. Wow. Um, but she didn't play quite an eight, her character wasn't quite 18, um, in the film. Well, she said she was. (laughs) <laughs> she said she was, but she wasn't. And um, so uh, she did an amazing job. And if I were giving out Quentin Tarantino Oscar awards, she'd be up for it, too. And I, Like I said, I think this is her breakout role. I think we're going to see a lot more of her. You know who else did a great job was, um, what's her name, who played Squeaky From? Oh, um, Dakota Fanning. Dakota Fanning. She was kind of the gatekeeper that um, kept, uh, was keeping Cliff from from making sure that Bruce Dern's character was safe, uh, who owned the, the ranch that all the uh, Manson family was staying at. And um, she, she's kind of like the... Um, mama figure of the matriarch of this Manson family um, both in the film and in real life and um, she did, I think for the very short period of time she was in the film she did a great job and she was gorgeous too they did a couple of up close shots on her and her freckle face and her skin she was just for being a hippie Manson follower on a dirty ranch, she was she was beautiful. So was that Kitty. And as much as I don't like her, Lena Dunham did a really great job playing, um, yeah. playing uh, one of the Manson followers. I um, 
I actually really liked, um, uh, I can't remember his name, as Tex. He too. did a great job. Yeah, and I didn't recognize him as, um, he I, was in the Dead Don't Die that we just watched. I didn't recognize him either, and, um, but once you told me who he was, I, I that's all Austin I Austin Butler. Yeah, that's all I could see, because he's such, when he's out of makeup of Tex Watson, um, in this film he's such a baby face yeah he and looks like um like a little bit tougher justin bieber <laughs> just yeah he, he kind of like. does yeah uh no offense but um he he's such a baby face and even in the beginning of the film or the uh first time we see him at the ranch um he's giving connie stevens and um and his and her husband a a horseback tour uh, that's how they made some money at the ranch. But um, when we first see him there and he first meets Cliff, he kind of looks gentle. He looks friendly. He's handsome, which were all things that um, the actual Tex Watson were um, were reported to be. Um, and um, once it got to the point where he was coming to kill uh, Rick and... Um, uh, Cliff, he turned into this crazy madman, and he did a good job of going t- between the two emotions, going from kind of like polite, sweet guy, even if he was faking it, to um, I'm gonna kill you. I agree. I think that uh, you know, I, he has my interest. I'm gonna keep an eye on him because. He's someone I've seen in movies and didn't realize that I'd seen him before. Uh-huh. And so that can be the sign of a good actor when mm-hmm. they're kind of chameleon-esque you and you have no idea that you're watching them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he can he can, uh, he can go either way. Yeah. I think that um, there's a lot of young talent in this movie, too. I think that, that Maya Hawke, like, uh, you didn't see Stranger Things Season 3 yet, but she really stood out in that. Like, that was her breakthrough role, actually. And I'm kind of glad that she was in Stranger Things before she was in this, because then people would just be like, oh, she got this because of her mom, Suma Thurman, and right. Tarantino. Um, but it was it was cool to see her in that first, and then see this. And I think she's going to have a good career. Like I said, the girl that played Pussycat, she's really good. She super stood out. Like, she stole scenes. I'd yeah. never seen her before. I have no idea if she ever acted before. She did. I looked her up, but I don't know if it's anything we've really seen. And I feel like she was head to head with Brad Pitt. Oh yeah, they were they were a good match for each other. Yeah. Definitely. Um, and he didn't even come off as a creepy old man. I he mean, didn't, somebody somewhere is going to say he did, but I, I don't think he that. did. I liked it though. I liked that Tarantino didn't put it that way. He didn't he gave Cliff a good conscience, you yeah. know? So, um, what do you... I mean, he wanted to. He just also well, didn't, he didn't want to get... doesn't want to? He, he didn't want to get caught. Come on. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what he said. He said, the law's been after me my whole life, and it hasn't got me yep. yet, and I'm not gonna lose it for you. I like that he, is, he has a backstory. Like, like he mentioned the text that he spent, you know, I don't even know how long he said, on a chain gang in Texas. That was for a film, Texas. he said. I don't he know said, if it was. He said, that's the last prison film like, you do. 
Oh, it was I, a prison film? That's what I thought he said, yeah. I felt like he went to prison for something. And I thought that somebody mentioned... Oh, maybe we'll have something. to re- yeah. revisit that. I don't know, and I, that's one thing about this movie that... Um, um, I don't want to get too sidetracked here and also give something away because we are still it's we we were planning on we're, we're planning on doing that. Midsommar and it's just been so hot in the studio because you can't have fans so on or air conditioning and while you're recording and I try we tried doing it once and it was just like a sweat fest so we couldn't even concentrate um, on our own words but a spoiler like I I really did enjoy Midsommar uh-huh. um and I have to admit I didn't enjoy it as much the second time around. Yep. But I'd also read the screenplay and like I mean maybe it was just too much. But I feel like this movie, um, on the second time around, I really liked it still. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's so much mm-hmm. crammed into this movie. Yeah. That. But not in a bad way. It's so much to take in. Yeah. It's like I think this is gonna definitely hold up to repeated viewings. Yeah, for sure. Like, we already saw it. Twice? It's not twice, yeah. and I feel like I'm forgetting to talk about things. Yeah, we definitely are. Um, so, what do you think was the standout scene for you that really showcases what you think that uh, Tarantino oh. can do? That's a really tough one. Um, uh, for the sake of no dead air, I'm just going to grab the first thing that comes to mind. I think that when Cliff goes to the ranch and drops her off and then sees all the hippies and starts to think something might be up mm-hmm. and decides to go check on, is it, is it Glenn or uh, what's his name? George? George, I think. George? Yep. Um, I think. Don't quote me, but I, I feel like... You know, not knowing that the stuntman was actually killed at the ranch, not even knowing that, like, that scene was so tense. Mm -hmm. And you've seen Cliff, and he seems like he can take care of himself. But how much of it's just overconfidence and bravado? Well, how can you take care of yourself against a bunch of hippies, right? Well, most of them, I mean, no offense to women, but most of them are young girls. Mm Mm-hmm. That and he's a right. big dude, right? Right, who can fight and all this. So it's like, but you know, it's like those I've seen those computer simulations where you keep adding more and more chickens against a Tyrannosaurus Rex, and they eventually take down the Tyrannosaurus Rex. Like every time, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like third graders will take down, uh-huh. you know. Um, but it's just like the atmosphere of that scene, and I don't even remember if there's music. I think that there might be. Oh, yeah, there is. Actually, once... Well, once he gets to the house, there's music. There's not music at first, I don't think. But he... Starts talking about George, and they're like... Oh, like... uh, Pussycat's like, oh, you can't go there now, because it's a nap time. Yeah. And it just feels so made up. It is, which is funny. It was a surprise that it wasn't made up. Because it's like... She says it, and then she's like, yeah, like, this is the time... This is time he takes his nap uh-huh. and it's just it's like okay it was ridiculous like it makes you even more suspicious of You're this like, guy no, that's not true. and he starts walking up there and like i mentioned before like the the hippies come into the frame and the way they're there like it's very 70s b-movie horror uh-huh. like it's the the horror elements of this movie like like i'm gonna get sidetracked real quick i just want to say like at the end when um 
Uh, I wish I could remember the actress's name. She plays like the oldest daughter on um, Better, Better Things. Things. Um, and it was in the end of the movie. Like the images of her freaking out and with that knife. Mm-hmm. And screaming, her scream After was so was perfect. By the dog. But I feel like if this movie had come out in the seventies, that would be an iconic image, like her. Yeah, that's freaking like, out with a knife. Like it was like it's like sleepaway camp. It was like psycho, iconic. almost yeah. a little bit. Like where you would be like not psycho. I feel more like would, sleepaway camp with yeah. like the crazy hair and just like I would definitely I just, say I feel like a, that picture would be in horror. That's books. a scream queen contender. Yeah, that was. It didn't feel fake. That was guttural and f- it, it felt dangerous. It felt like part of it was a victim. Part of it was still an attacker. Uh-huh. Like it was just like that was perfect. But and as she was insane, yeah, she was insane, totally nuts. But to go back to the ranch, um, there's scenes like that that are just filled in that like feel very seventies horror. Mm-hmm. And he walks towards the um, and it's almost like the birds. Like the hippies are like. Just all like like too many birds, you know, like oh, Hitchcock's yeah. birds. Like there's mm-hmm. too many hippies, and he walks up to the house and he has his confrontation with Squeaky, who actually says it's his nap time. And you're like, oh, that's weird. And like, you're like, how did they? Yeah, how this did lie? how did they do that? And then when he goes in the house, like that's when the tense music comes on, and it's coming from the TV set from some FBI or whatever she's watching. And he, you know, and he sees like the fucking rat in the glue trap. By the way, that and, girl's name is Mikey Madison. Okay. Um, but like the way, like the way that whole scene is shot, it is so tense. And you know, you absolutely 100% know is he's going back there that either, like, that all these things are going to happen. Like, He's going to go back there. The lady's like, or Squeaky's like, um, you may have to shake him and wake him up. Like, he's sleeping You're hard. Like, I fucked his dead. brains out. Yeah. And he's going to go back there. Like, you've already seen this rat alive and screaming. He's going to go back there, and it's going to be flies mm-hmm. and bloated flesh. Mm-hmm. And then someone's going to come through the one of these other doors mm-hmm. and kill him. Mm-hmm. And this is the end of Cliff. But then he gets back there, and it's like, exactly he, what they said. he has this very nice mm-hmm. meeting with George, who still is probably being taken advantage of, mm-hmm. but at the same time, is an old blind man that gets to have sex with all these young girls, mm-hmm. so it's like, it's not such a bad deal for George. Mm-hmm. Who else? He's going to be alone on this ranch? Right. And I'm not you saying know, that it's... Um... I don't think that Squeaky loved him, but I think he thinks that she loved him, and he... Like the hippies who don't want to have any part of society or anything, he too doesn't want to have any part of society. He just wants to be left the hell alone on his ranch. But I feel like the tension of that scene, and then to have it like pay off in such a nice little like you touched me moment, mm-hmm. like that was really well done. Mm-hmm. I, and I thought it, was well done it too. totally broke all the tension, and then he comes back out and gets into it a little bit with Pussycat, who's like, you embarrass me, and, mm-hmm. you know, watch you out here, and he's like, way ahead of you, and you're like, there's still this element, like, uh-oh, like, he could, this could go south, and he could get killed, mm-hmm. but then he goes there and finds the car, mm-hmm. and has that, and then Tex is coming, and you're like, 
okay, yeah. this still could go south. And yep. then, it, like, I just felt like that whole tension and release was quintessential Tarantino. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that is a scene that you could just take and study and show in film classes. It is. It's like a, yeah, it's like an edging to the, the, um, climax of it and then you know it, it kind of just it does not nothing in that scene goes the way you're expecting it to go no. i have to say that um uh pussycat getting up on that car and saying george isn't blind you're the one who's blind um was a perfect representation of how it really was during the Manser murder trials. There were several followers and family members who were there that would chant things like that. Like, Uh. you're the blind one, you're the murderers, you're the pigs. And she did an amazing job, I'm sure, because Tarantino probably showed these guys hours and hours of film. Um, But they, she did an amazing job with that. my he, uh, my favorite. He got a lot of bare feet in this movie too. I think well, this might be more bare fetish. more bare feet in a Tarantino movie than he's ever done before. Aside from Uma Thurman being barefoot all through Kill Bill, which I think I, I count that as one. Yeah. He's got several bare feet in this. Oh yeah, tons of. This guy constantly. He's definitely loves the feet, whether they are mangled yeah. and disgusting. The dirty, and they're all, lots of dirty feet. In this yeah, movie. I just want to point out to you because you're always talking about how dirty my feet are. That a whole movie. Oh no, I thought about that. Tarantino would love your dirty feet. Yeah, I just want to say I've evenly graduated toes and dirty feet because I always walk around barefoot. So. I just want yeah. to tell you how important I am to Quentin Tarantino. Even Sharon's feet were dirty when she yeah. put them up in the movie theater. Yeah, so lay off my dirty feet. Well, I'm not Quentin Tarantino. Well, you're right about that. <laughs> but um, I don't, my favorite part was, of course, like, I I love Tarantino's um, conclusions. And my favorite was the scene where Cliff took care of all the all the uh manson kids and um the that is so so frantic over frantic uber violent amazing dog (laughs) you know the whole thing was great everything about that scene was perfect right up to when the last survivor um that that mickey who has been hit in the face with a dog food can. She's been attacked by this beautiful dog um, who's been amazingly trained, obviously, by Cliff. And she has thrown herself through a plate glass window. She has she can't see. Her nose is broken. There's shards of glass in her face. And she falls into this pool. And out comes Rick with a flamethrower. From beginning to end, that was a perfect scene for me. Everything about it was perfect. And it was perfect foreshadowing, too, because when the earlier scenes of the flamethrower were there, like you didn't even remotely think that this was going to come up again. I would have never thought that he had the flamethrower to begin with, 
It wasn't he... wasn't the spiked fence that they would no. show, and then you right. know and someone's going to die on, on it. That. Yeah. Um, but and that then... violence seemed to sorry to interrupt you, but like that 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 violence, like you know, violence is horrific and chaotic, and I'm sure. You know, like you hear people say, like a, a second feels like a minute. You know, mm-hmm. but it's like I'm watching this, and like you know, there's key moments like the fireplace and the dog food can that, and and actually the phone. Oh Jesus! Like the oh, phone God. was rough. Um, that stand out, but it's so much of it is so like fast and chaotic and and mm-hmm. sensory overload that you you. I don't have. I know things happened, mm-hmm. but I don't have mental images of them. Mm-hmm. Well, because of, of your a mind lot of is it. trying to catch up. Yeah. Um, from it's the last so well done. Thing. It's super well done. It's excellent. The only tiny complaint I have about that, and I'm willing to let it go because the dog was so beautiful, and was trained to attack, was that a pit bull was used, and. Um, yeah, but pit Cliff seems get, like a pit bull guy. Yeah, oh, he he totally does, and I don't want I you know I don't like to perpetuate the stereotype that pit bulls are evil and attack dogs. And that dog was so beautiful yeah. and so lovely, and it was trained to attack, and it did a good job. Here's um, the thing, though: it's like I didn't. But there's not I a mean, whole lot of dogs that we haven't ever talked about like pit bulls. But I like I tend to kind of believe a little bit of the stereotypes. No, you don't. I don't want to get into it here, but um. When I, when I saw that dog, I never saw it coming that that dog was going to attack. Had he had a German Shepherd, I would have been like, well, they're safe. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I never even thought that this dog, even on its own. Well, that's good that you didn't. Did you know it was a pit bull? No, nah, not really. I just knew like it was a solid piece of muscle. And you dog, could see that when he fed it earlier. It that like, dog can take it down like, a horse. My God. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's a be- that was a gorgeous dog. But they did a great job of just having it bark, and then he thought it was barking for its food, and then but like we, the that was a great sound system that was. we had, yeah. Because you could see like, um, the first time we saw it, I just thought Cliff reacted to the dog and then went, "Oh, the dog is serious." But you could hear footprint this, this or footfalls, did, yep. and it was like, "Whoa!" Like that was so well done. Yeah, you could hear the footsteps after um, Cliff started paying attention. Not to mention the fact that Cliff had just smoked an acid-dipped cigarette and was flying high, and so he wasn't really paying attention too much, but um, yeah. which made the scene even more hilarious because when they came in... I'm as real as a donut. Yeah, I don't <laughs> even know line. what any of that... I did, I, so that confused me so much when Cliff <laughs> said, are you real? He said, I'm as real as a donut, and Cliff laughed. I'm like... I know, right? Is that not most ridiculous thing you've yeah, ever... Was... Like, real is a donut. Does somebody have donuts? That's how... That's uh, exactly my response would have been if I was in Cliff's situation. I would be like, did you bring donuts? Is that what you're trying to say? Uh, and, um, I don't know. It was just great. I loved that, um, Cliff... Oh, it just dawned on me. Oh. I was just thinking earlier, like, you know, I know stuntmen, stuntmen do a lot of things, but how did he train this dog and how did he become the kick-ass fighter that he is? But they had said earlier the one little thing that said, come on, he's a war hero. Yeah. 
Oh, duh. All right, so he's a war hero that kicks ass. Got it. Yeah. All right. Still not going to kick Bruce Lee's ass, though. Whatever. I, not, I will take your word for it. He'll be I, Audie Murphy, and he's still not going to do that. I um, take your word for it. And I doubt that Cassius Clay, which is Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali, would be able to kick Bruce Lee's ass either. But then again, I don't know much about Bruce Lee, so. And I do yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, about that's a old debate on who would win a boxer or a martial artist. And. Well, Boxer's not yeah. going to win against martial artists, I don't think. Not with his gloves on. No. But anyway. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, our thoughts on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yes. And we'd love to hear your feedback. If you have feedback, things you want to talk about the movie, criticism of the show, even if you feel like you just want to compliment, that'd be great. Please go to synexs.com and leave a message or contact us at uh That's the website, but yeah. how can or they contact can, us? You're well, the you're on, the queen of social media. How, what are we what are we on? We're on Facebook under Synexs. We're on Instagram under Synexs and we're on Twitter under Synexs. So Is it Synexs or Synexx cast? It's not cast. It's not. All right. See, um, I set one up, and it got thrown out by the queen of social media. So what am I going to do? All of you can get links to all of those things on synexcess.com, and it's just true. go to Facebook Synexcess. It's all together. And if you have any, um, any critiques, that would be awesome too to let us know if you're digging our podcast, if you're liking it, what we can do differently, what we can do better, or um, keep doing what we're doing. So until next time, which hopefully will be sooner than it was in between the last two episodes. Well, yeah, because it's not 100 degrees anymore. um, We're probably, I'm assuming, going to eventually record our Midsommar episode. With spoilers Um, now, because everybody's probably seen it. If you're listening to the show, this show is going to discuss films, and we're not going to censor ourselves. It's going to spoil it. So... You've been warned. Was that a gunshot? Sure. (laughs) Okay. So on that note, um, thanks for listening and join us next time for Sin Excess. Yes. And go see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood.